episode 110 of above ground podcast uncovering what's next with lisa scott disclaimer the host of this podcast timothy patrick and will foley are by no means medical professionals however having lived experience with mental illness themselves they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis by sharing their stories they hope to create connection by creating connection they hope to help you find your purpose And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. This week, we bring you Lisa Scott. Let me tell you, we were definitely psyched to get this episode out and more than happy to bring her into the conversation. I stumbled across her own podcast, What's Next with Lisa, and listened to two or three episodes, and it was just fantastic. I mean, her delivery, the subject, it was all on point. It was all stuff that I needed, and it was truly, truly an awesome podcast. So check her out, and I reached out to her after I listened to the episode just to tell her what I thought of them and see if she was interested in having a conversation with us, and sure enough, she was all all for it, and it just goes to show you what kind of great person she is, and, and hopefully that it comes through in this episode, and you all enjoy it. Uh, come back next week for another one, and uh, thanks for checking it out, and go check her out, Lisa. Scott, what's next with Lisa? Wherever you podcast. On with the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast. Because you can't serve below. Yeah, you know who that is. You're down with TPP. Yeah, you know me. Timmy, how we doing, buddy? I'm excited because, um, you know, I, I, I found this podcast kind of on an, an accident. Um, I think I was, I, th- I think I may have been typing in, um, you know, attachment, secure attachment and up pops up this, um, what's next with Lisa Scott. So I was like, yeah, what the heck? And, you know, right off the rip, it's like, no, and she says it, I believe no nonsense. It's just. To the point, this is, you know, this is the description and these are some things you can do. And I'm like, I, I, you know, not that I listen to every podcast out there, but, um, this is what I would look for in a podcast, you know, some of the things that describe it and some of the things that you can do to, um, you know, help keep it at bay. So, um, I guess without further ado, um, she's a, a licensed professional counselor, um, She's a mother. She's a, she's many things, but um, she's no nonsense, and we are very, very, very happy to have her here, Lisa Scott. Hey guys! Absolutely! Woo-hoo, yeah, Lisa. Why don't you tell our listeners, give our li- listeners a little background about what it is you do and how you came to this, and then we'll get into some yeah. some attachment stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I love what you guys are doing. It's it's just really refreshing, and I get excited 
about seeing other podcasts and other people trying to bring awareness and, and take the stigmas away. And so it's really refreshing and exciting for me to see what you guys are doing. So thank you for having me. Um, so I've been a therapist for about a million years. Uh, (laughs) Um, I've worked in a clinical setting. I've worked in, um, hospital emergency departments doing mental health evaluations, um, people who are really, um, having struggles like in the moment, psychosis, suicidal ideation. Um, I've worked in schools. I mean, I think that I've kind of like run the gamut of that. And then a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, I've always wanted to kind of work for myself, do private practice. Um, how could I do this? And it was one of those things where I kind of had to take my own advice and like push through that fear and that discomfort of this could go horribly wrong. Um, and I talk a lot about sitting across from the office that I was renting and just looking at it and trying to visualize I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing. I just need to do it. So I did it. I went out, um, I left the hospital and decided to do private practice full time. And about two weeks after I left the hospital full time, the world shut down, um, with COVID. Okay. Wow. So, so this was super, recent then. This yeah. Was very super recent. awesome time to start a business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I had been doing private practice part-time. So I was working at the hospital and I was doing it part-time um, for probably a year and a half, two years prior to me just wanting to go full-time. And yeah, about two weeks after I finally did it, we shut down. It was last March. And the thing that I said, one of the reasons I wanted to do it was I want more time to write. Um, I want more time to focus on the things that fill me up. And I want to help people that want help. It was one of the things that's like a little frustrating about working in a clinical setting Mm -hmm. is you don't get people that typically come there because they want help. They typically come there because they're picked up by the police or something like that. And while they're so in need of the help and you hope that they take it, you know, it just, sometimes you just kind of get your fill of being threatened. So in any event, I thought, all right, I'm going to learn how to podcast because I've always wanted to do it. And so one of the things we were living in Vail, Colorado at the time. And one of the things in Vail was like the access to mental health care was crazy. The waits were super long to get in. People were waiting two months to get in. And I'm like, what do you do with that? When you know you need help, you need it right now. And so one of my big, I guess, like the inspiration for really doing it was um, I want to give people information and ideas of things they can start to work on to get self-accountable for. Not that it's a replacement for therapy, but it's one of those things that's like when you feel like you're working on something or you just need help and you don't really know where to go, sometimes it's just one thing that somebody can say that can help. And I thought, why not do this? and see how many people, you know, that are waiting two, three months or can't afford a therapist to get in. Maybe it's like one or two things that could lead them down the right path. So how do you form boundaries if your attachment is, is all out of whack? Like if you don't know how to attach properly or if you're codependent or anything, how do you learn to set boundaries? Yeah. Oh, what a great question. Oh, what a great question. So I actually just did an episode Friday about boundaries um, and not carrying other people's emotional stuff. But I want to say this about 
attachment theories. So first of all, my episode on fearful avoidant attachment is like thousands beyond the most listened to, like hands down the most listened to on fearful avoidant. And the thing about that, that gets me interested is I think a lot of times we have a tendency to try to figure out what kind of attachment style is my person? Why isn't this working? If I can figure out their attachment style, then maybe I can figure out how to make this work. And it's, um, it's one of those things where you can identify what your person's attachment style is. You can identify what your attachment style is, but the goal should always be to work toward that secure attachment. Because if you're not working toward a healthy, secure attachment, you're going to be repeating patterns and uh, poor relationships and wondering why they're not working, why you're attracted to the same people. And so when you start to bring boundaries into that, let's say you are um, an anxious attacher, right? Meaning um, you seek that validation from somebody you're dating to make sure that you're secure in the relationship. So maybe you're constantly texting, maybe you're constantly questioning them. How do you feel? What are we doing? You know, why didn't, why did it take you four minutes to respond to my text versus, you know what I'm saying, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be really hard to have a boundary with that kind of attachment style that actually betters yourself and the relationship because your lens that you're looking at the relationship through is totally skewed because you have to remember every behavior has a payoff, whether we realize it or not. Oh right? yeah. We, we're all looking for something to fill whatever it is that we're trying to like, we, we're all looking for our needs to be filled and we don't even Got necessarily it. know if the needs are good or bad versus just needs that we know we have. That's it. You got it. And so when we talk about, when you talk about bringing boundaries into that, I would tell you that until you have a strong connection to yourself, meaning what's important to you, what are you worthy of? What do you want in a relationship? You are looking at attachments and relationships through the lens of getting that external validation versus this is who I am. And this is what's important to me. And so it's a very different intention. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I, and I, so when you, when you say person, mm -hmm. do you mean, are you coming at this from a, a like relationship as far as like an, an intimate relationship or does that mat Does it matter what type of relationship it is, whether it's parent parental or is this more oh, from yeah. the, from the more from the, the intimate relationship with, you know, a significant other. Yeah. When I say person, your person, I typically mean intimate romantic relationship. Okay. However, our, you know, and that really, when we talk about attachment styles, um, nine times out of 10, that's what we're talking about. That doesn't mean you are not an anxious attacher or a fearful avoidant person with friends, parents, coworkers. They're all patterns to be aware of, but I, I found in my work, the most, um, you know, the thing that matters most to people for some reason, which I totally get, we all want to find someone to share life with. Most of us do. We're humans. We're wired for connection. Yeah. 
is an intimate partner. Yes. And I get it too, because we're also all of the age where that's the relationships we're dealing with. And most mm. people don't. And like, and I've, as we found doing this podcast, and I'm sure you found in your practice, most of us don't want to look at 40 years ago, 50 years ago to say, what was the trauma or what was the the disconnect or where was the yep. problem? Because some of us don't even realize that there were those disconnects, but absolutely. And then you have some of us here who are still trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to get validation from a disconnection that just can't happen. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's absolutely. It's, and and, and it's just snowballs. It, it absolutely does. And here's the thing. I always say, if we're not careful, we marry our unfinished emotional business. Um, uh. You know, whether we realize it or not. And I can tell you, for me personally, I share this story, um, not a lot, but enough because it matters. So I'm a master's level educated mental health professional um, and my undergrads in social work. And um, I had a dad that was um, abusive and absent and, you know, all the things that you wouldn't want. And in theory, I remember because I had this most amazing stepdad, most amazing family, brothers and sisters. And I remember thinking, like, I would never pick a guy like my dad. What are all these girls talking about? Like, oh, they married their dad. Like, oh, my God, I know so much better than that. That was terrible. Oh, I married him in my 20s. Of course I did. And I divorced him in my 20s. But I tell that story because... <laughs> you can like communicate that like, Oh, that's terrible. I know that's terrible. But until you really do that emotional work where it's like, Ooh, I'm worthy of more than this. I want these needs met, not this. We underestimate how familiar our childhoods feel and like how we're, we gravitate toward that in our adult relationships. I think a lot. And do, yeah. Do you think that Oh, go ahead, Tim. No, I was just gonna, do you think that there's some subconscious to that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because here's the thing. As kids growing up, we don't have a worldview, really, to look outside of our world and say, oh, this could be better. Or Johnny's family doesn't do it that way. That doesn't usually come until later. And when you're a child, your subconscious is working overtime to get your needs met and keep you safe. So if as from a child, you learn, um, okay, to stay safe, I just need to not talk when dad comes home, right? So your emotional memory is learning that, okay, stay safe, don't talk when dad enters the room. And then it starts to work because you feel safer as a five-year-old, right? Um, if you grew up in a house where you may have had like awesome parents, lots of opportunities, vacations, great memories, but they didn't talk about feelings. And when you talked about how you felt, they said, come on, suck it up. Let's get through it. Um, not ill-intentioned. No, doesn't make them bad parents. However, it taught you from a very young age that your thoughts, feelings, and emotions don't matter. So, so your emotional memory kicks in and says, all right, to stay safe, I don't talk about my emotions. I just suck it up and get through, which denies you a chance to learn how to navigate that in your adult life. So the point here is that, so then when you're an adult and you go into the outside world, it's one of those things where your emotional memory kicks in. And while 
I would never pick a guy that behaved like my dad, right? So physically and consciously, I would never, ever do that. I picked a guy that made me feel like my dad did because that I knew how to navigate that. I knew if I stayed quiet and I felt like home and it, it, yeah, absolutely. So it's not necessarily like that outward physical, like, Ooh, this is how my dad treated. And sometimes it is, you know, sometimes it's like that feels like home, but we underestimate how that feeling and that emotional memory kicks in to say, Ooh, this feels like home. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because yeah. we're wired, oh, yeah. to, we're wired for connection and we, Absolutely. and then, and also our brain is wired for patterns. So we automatically have these subconscious patterns that we don't realize have been, have been like implanted in our hard drives since, mm -hmm. since birth, basically. Absolutely. I, I've, um, what does longing look like mm -hmm. in individuals that are trying to just sort out all the pieces that, they didn't realize were of the wrong puzzles. Like you put all the pieces of the puzzles together, but they're the wrong puzzles. Like mm -hmm. they're just not the right ones. How do you start to sort out getting the puzzles apart to put them back together again? Is that well, too vague a question or? Well, ex ex I, excavating, <laughs> excavating. Yeah. I listen, I think when you're talking about sorting it out based on like other people in your life and what's going on with them, the first question you've got to ask yourself is, is this mine to sort out? Right? So is this mine to fix? Is this mine to sort out? And if it is yours, if you decide this is mine to fix, this is mine to sort out, intention matters, right? So, sure. so and when I say intention matters, I mean- You just said that the other day, didn't I, Will? Yeah, you did too. He, Timmy I said it, it right to me the other day. I, I did. I nice. love it. I love it. I love nice. it. Please speak on. Sorry, but I just had to like. No, it's good. It's good. So and so intention matters in the sense that if you're going to sort some puzzle pieces and put them back together and figure it out, you do it with the intention of saying, I want to and I have the capacity to do this because these people matter, not. I need to do this or I'm not a worthy son or I'm not a worthy human. I'm feeling obligated and pressured. It's very, it's a very, very different intention, right? One. Yes, absolutely. One is filled with shame. Oh, right. I have to do this. If I don't do this, I'm a, I'm a shitty, oops, sorry. I'm a sorry. No, you can swear as much as you want. Oh, good. Oh, oh yeah. My I'm sorry. Well, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I kind of <laughs> thought like if people had heard the podcast, they would hear like, I let it flow, no, let it flow. Yeah. Let it flow. Whatever <laughs> it is that it is. Okay. But you know, if it's like this, this veil of shame, like, oh, I have to do this or I'm a shitty son or I, you know, what will my friends think if I don't do this because they're my parents and I have to help, right? That's shame and shame is heavy. Do you have any tips or anything like any actionable advice to help somebody with that? Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it like, do we, because we're all about tools, like yeah. we're all about tools and adding to the bat belt and the utility belt and. Yeah. So my clients are probably sick of hearing me say this and ask them to do this, but I'm telling you it works. It's effective. If you embrace the process, it's amazing. And if you ugly cry while you're doing it, you're probably doing it right. I'm a huge fan of 
writing things down pen to paper. Yeah, so not am I. Typing it on a computer, not typing it on your phone, not just thinking about it. When you write something down, it's processed in a different part of your brain. So it's something tangible for your brain to look at. After you write things down, I'm also a really huge fan of reading them out loud to yourself, right? So just kind of keep that in mind as, as I say this. So it's different for everybody. Um, but I would say like, if there's a particular age where you look back on and you're just like, God, I let myself down and I'm really shaming myself for that time. And there's no, there's no amount of letter. I'm going to have you write a letter. There's no amount of letters that like, that you have to do or not do. Some people write one, some people write five. Um, it's all about your experiences. And so I would say pick an age that feels really shameful or bad. And I want you to sit um, and I want you to dedicate some time to write that version of you a letter from who you are today, right? So looking back on that version of you, write them a letter. And what I want you to, it's almost, it's a love letter. I want you to tell them I'm really sorry that you thought that this was the best choice. Um, I want you to give them love and compassion and knowing what you know now, let them know that they are still worthy and lovable and valuable. And I want you to give them what they needed in that moment. Tim and I had talked about doing this um, last year, just before everything shut down and we really couldn't get mm -hmm. together, which was having what we called a controlled burn in my backyard where we had yes. a fire in the fire pit. And then we write out a bunch of stuff that we forgive, oh, I love it. forgive ourselves for, and then hang out and say, you know, have a meditation and throw it in the fire and watch it burn. I love it. I love it. Can I add one thing to your controlled burn? Sure. All right. When I ask people to write these letters, oftentimes about childhood, but it can be your twenties, your thirties. It can be, it doesn't matter the age, right? Um, I tell people we write these letters not to get rid of this version of you, not to say, oh, I've resolved that. I'm good. I've forgiven myself. I'm moving forward. It's so when you are entering a new relationship or you're having a fight with your wife or whatever it is, and that version of you comes up, whether it be insecurity, whether it be fear of success, right? I want you to be able to recognize that that is your 20 year old self or your inner child self kind of jumping up and down and saying, Hey, Hey, we're okay. Will you love me? I, I want you to write these letters. So you learn how to love that version of you. So when it enters into your everyday life, because we all have an inner child rolling around in our hearts, I'm convinced of it. Oh, oh I, yeah. I don't think there's, don't think there's <laughs> any doubt about that. Right? <laughs> So mine's not rolling around. Mine's kicking and screaming. Is it riding yeah. on your shoulder? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, mine's yeah. beating me over the head. Well, <laughs> yeah. And so it's so important to know when it's them being anxiously attached, being fearfully avoidant, being angry or self-sabotaging. Because all that is, is your inner child saying, hey, 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 we're okay. Will you love me and tell me I'm worthy? We're okay. Take a breath. So you write these letters with the intention of saying, how do I, when this person 
crops up in my everyday life, how do I take a two second pause and say, I know who that is. Hey, you're okay, buddy. I love you. You're we're okay. And then move forward. It's not to resolve it and just keep rolling. It's to, cause they all, they creep up all the time. We're humans. We're imperfect. Right. So it's really to say, Hey, come sit beside me and let's navigate this world together versus you're good. Now I've forgiven you. You can stay there. No, no, no. Come with me because I love you. And and I have compassion for you. Let's figure this out. You see the difference? Yeah. So rather than actually get rid of the letters, you actually write the letters and keep them. Do you check them every once in a while? Like when you're feeling that certain feeling, like, is Mm -hmm. that something or do you, or do, or do you do burn them? I think you can burn them if okay. you if you want to. I think it's whatever's the most powerful for you um, okay. to, to take meaning away from from that experience. Some people love to burn them. Some people like to keep them. So if they're really struggling or they know they've fallen back into old patterns, they can say, ooh, I've got a this inner child work or this abused version of me that was in this marriage for five years is like totally popping up again. How do I love and soothe this person so I'm securely attached and I'm navigating this world from an empowered stance versus a fear-based stance? Very different. Oh, very different. I think it depends on the the what what it is you're writing that piece. If is it is it a piece that you want to let go of and and be free of? Then yes, burn it for sure. I mean, that's just my opinion. Yep. Would Would you? You know, you. I was going to ask you a question, but you touched on it because. A lot for some reason, I there there is definitely for me. There's definitely those uh, moments as a child, mm-hmm. but my memory is so bad that I can't pinpoint stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but I I know there's more um, of these occurrences as yeah. as as like an adult. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm talking you know 30s and, and you know later 30s. So, mm-hmm. w- would you suggest writing? even a letter to that, like your, you know, your, your, you know, five, 10 year ago self, I guess you could say would that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if there are memories like, you know, are there, but you just don't remember kind of thing. I mean, if we kind of step outside of ourselves for a minute and you picture yourself as a child I, and I, sometimes I recommend take find a picture of yourself as a five-year-old and put it on I, the fridge. I, ha- I have one on my, next to my bed. Because how do you not look at that little face and say, God, you are worthy of so much more than you were given. I love you. How do you not look at that little face and say, I'm sorry, you can't remember a lot of stuff, but here's what you're doing as an adult. And that's not really working. Let's figure this out together. Um, and I recommend that too, when I do couples counseling. When they're just like really butting heads, I'll say, everybody just get a picture of your person as a child and see if you can yell and call names, right? When you picture them as a little boy or a little girl, it's crazy. Wow. That seems pretty, that seems like a pretty powerful exercise right there. Yeah, it, it, it is because I think we, we step outside and of, of, you stop trying to see the person. If, let me back that up. You, you, you continue to try to like win the argument, right? And so what I always say to people is really try to see the emotion behind the words they're using, you know, and really try to think of them as a vulnerable little person 
Um, that's not to say you should ever put up with abusive name calling, like never, ever, ever. That's a non-negotiable for me. But when you guys are like disagreeing about the same thing, going round and round and round, really try to see the emotion behind what they're saying. Because like most times people just want to be validated and heard. And that is like, you know, if it's like, why don't you ever take the trash out? It's so annoying. I feel like I have to do it by myself all the time. The emotion might be. I think that you're, it sounds like you're really tired and stressed. How can I help? We're all accountable for trying to be some sense of the best version of ourselves. And that's for us individually to lead our best life, but that's also to be the right kind of partner for your partner. Because if they're constantly picking up 30% or 50% of your slack chronically, that's not sustainable. That's where right. we start to get codependent. That's where we start to get those patterns that are just toxic and abusive because you're saying, well, you're my partner. You should be able to meet all of my needs. Why are you doing this, this, and this wrong? And there's no self-accountability for it. When you enter a relationship, how well aware are you of your baggage? And what are you doing to make sure it doesn't affect our relationship? And so that goes back to that intention question. So it's like, we're all allowed to be human. We all have crap that doesn't work for us, that we don't do right, that we, we're not 100% all the time in a relationship. I think intention matters because I, you know, I want to know, so what are you doing about it? Are you working on it? Are you, you know, going to therapy? Are you making different choices? Because that, that doesn't mean that you need to be 100% all the time. If you're at like 50, 60% and struggling, of course your partner can kick in. And what I always say is we can love and support our partners, but never at the expense of our own mental health. As I'm excavating all these things, like all this stuff is coming up yeah. and it leads, and it just leads you to another question really. Oh, Cause yeah. I mean, that's, you start to wonder like what what's this you know what's this artifact over here then you move it and you're like oh well there's there's something else that belonged to that but why like why did i miss this or why is it affecting me 35 years later why is it coming back and why hasn't it been been settled you know why yeah, hasn't that debt been settled it's that credit card man i know right man it all comes you you can enjoy it now well, yes yeah. it's, it's, it's wimpy it's I'll gladly pay you for a hamburger tomorrow. <laughs> I'll pay you tomorrow for a hamburger today. Hamburgers, yes. Yeah, you guys are awesome. I love what you're doing. It's it's okay to not be okay, as they say, you know. And it's a process, and it's it's learning and growing what you don't like versus what you do like, um, you know. And it all matters, and your story matters. And one of the things you hear me say a lot on my podcast is you don't share your story with somebody who can't take care of it that's yeah yours. i heard that that's no. i heard that that's that's, that's intense yours. and and that's okay to hold that dear to your heart and know that it's yours not because you're ashamed of it because you know the value in protecting it and i will tell you guys this before we go you know self-worth and self-love we hear a lot about that low self-esteem they don't love themselves. They, you know, they have no self-worth, those types of things. Those are disconnects from your self-worth, in my opinion, that you're born with. You are born worthy. You are born valuable. Um, what happens is along the way, we have childhoods and experiences and relationships and whatever that, that get us down a road of disconnecting from that worth. It's not something you have or you don't.
it's always right here in your heart. Right. That's actually a good, that's actually kind of awesome because like, I kind of like look at recovery and from anything, whether it be, that's just uncovering what's always the the stuff that's always been there. It just got covered in a bunch of shit that Uh, you just collected along the way. Exactly. And, and here's the thing with, you know, self-love and self-worth is that you don't show up to your marriage once a year and say, Hey, how are you doing? And then hope that the marriage works. You show up every day, good or bad and figure it out. It's the same thing with your relationship with your self-worth. You show up every day and you check in with it and say, how are we doing today? We're worthy. You show up every day. If you want that relationship to work. That's awesome. That's the perfect segue into how we finish every episode. So we finish every episode with three questions, two serious ones, one not so serious. Okay. So I'll let Tim start. And remember, before I even ask this, remember, let it flow if you want to let yeah, it flow. Yeah, let it flow. Yeah, there's All no... Right. There's no <laughs> nervous. All right. No, don't be nervous. Don't be... <laughs> Do you have a favorite or least favorite word? Oh, um, yeah, I love the F word. You can say it if you like. I like fuck. That's a good one. Um, my least favorite word. Oh God. I'm like one of those. I hate moist and I hate crotch. Like who said that? Wow. That's a new one. I can't can't with it. (laughs) We just interviewed, we just interviewed a chiropractor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, who practices network spinal. And she said that she actually didn't mind the word moist. She also chose the word fuck. And fuck (laughs) is actually one of my favorites just because it's so, it's so descriptive in so so many. Versatile too. Right. Versatile. Right. right. The most versatile word there is. You can add things to it. Why are you fiddle fucking around? I mean, (laughs) there's like, there's so many things that like have a good ring, you know? (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. I love it. Uh, So the second question is cat, dog, or other? Dog. Very allergic to cats. Okay. Um, We have a dog, a red healer named Higgins, who is my, I call him my COVID pendant. We adopted him about a month before the pandemic. And so he's never really left my side. (laughs) Uh, Higgins is amazing. Definitely dog. Are you going to take dog- him to the office when he when the office opens back up, or are you just going to be virtual? We have tried the office. Uh, he's very busy, that Higgins. <laughs> um, <laughs> although I think I think after a year of doing this, he finally gets it. I call him my coworker, and he just sleeps. If he hears us talking, he'll sleep. When I stop talking, he's up and ready to go. So it's pretty cute. He's figured it out. Um, but, and I wish we could have cats. I'm just so allergic. Um, Jeff, my, my boyfriend, his daughter, Vienna loves cats and it breaks my heart. Cause I'm like, no, we cannot. <laughs> so no. <laughs> so the last question, if you could do anything, or if you would like to see something done to mental health as a whole with no restraints, what would it be? accessibility and affordability um and i think yeah crushing the stigma is one thing but i do think we live in a world where more and more people want help we're having conversations we're having 
awareness. Um, I mean, you look on Instagram and, and you guys and everybody, I feel not everybody, but a lot of people are really trying hard to say it's okay to want help. But then I think what's so infuriating is that then somebody says, I want help and people aren't available or they're $180 for a 50 minute session, private pay. And it's just crazy to me. And that's one of the reasons I started my private practice, you know, the going rate in my little Valley was like, I think the average was like $240 for a 50 minute session, private pay. Wow. And I went with 90. Um, and it's Good for you. Thanks. Yeah. And I just, I really, I wanted to take Medicaid. I wanted to take, you know, insurance companies are a pain in the ass to work with. There's a reason Therapists are typically good people. There's a reason a lot of people don't work with insurance companies. Oh, and sure. oftentimes, like I've had patients that just pay privately because their office copay for their insurance company is more money than what I charge for an hourly rate. And I just think it's disgusting. And, you know, I, it's a bummer. And so even, yeah, I could, we could talk for hours about that accessibility and making it affordable is just, if somebody wants help, we should be moving mountains to get them help. Um, yeah, nobody. Yeah, there's definitely help. a big barrier to getting help. And especially, I, I, I found this out recently on a personal level because I had to, my mother needed to be extricated from her, from her apartment so we could get her to the hospital because she just wouldn't go. Mm -hmm. And I had to call every resource I had, including the crisis line. Yep. And here in New York State, we don't really have much. Like, we're not in New York City. New York City, obviously, big metropolitan area, a lot of close things close together have clinics and they have different organizations that provide peer support and they do a lot of stuff. But up up here, like in the Albany area, in the Capital Region area, Saratoga area, it's 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 better than it is further out in the state, but it's, it's limited as to who you can get. And yeah. I had to call crisis and I had to wait an hour for a crisis team that had to come, you know, 20 miles away. And right. it's the only crisis team that there is. So it's right. Uh, is there, is there something that we can do as advocates out here to, to, to keep screaming or do talk you just keep your, screaming? I think you, you keep screaming. You talk to your elected officials, you talk to your local elected officials try to get more supports in the community. A lot of it's funding. I know that people will tell you it's funding, but you know, the example, and we make it sound like so easy, like, well, this is what you should do. I, <laughs> it's not lost on me that there are a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. There's a lot of barriers and there's a lot of barriers. That being said though, you know, I, I look at the cases that we see and it's so unfortunate where people are in a mental health crisis and they tried to call for help. And then while waiting for help, that person escalates to being violent and then the police are called and then they, uh, they go after the police and the police in my, this is my opinion, they can understand that it's a mental health patient, but safety is safety. And if you've got a patient coming after you with a weapon, whether they're in a mental health crisis or they know what they're doing. I don't feel like our police officers should have to sacrifice themselves, right? To yeah. say, well, this is a mental health crisis, so it's okay sure. if I get shot today. That, no. You know, and that, that's, <laughs> that's just my opinion, but that's the problem 
with the police responding is that they're not really trained to right sometimes you can't i mean i've worked in in er's where when people are psychotic or having a delusional episode and they truly feel like everyone's out to get them they can be violent not because they're bad people but because they're scared right you no know? and so yes that's something to have compassion for however it's just so sad because if sometimes you don't know what could happen if if the appropriate people who might be able to redirect them responded you well, know and that's so, and that was part of the problem that i found because we actually had to have the police there and everything and mm -hmm. i had actually had gotten in sort of an argument with the cop when he first arrived because he didn't want to help me at first yeah because okay. he was like and, and and i understand but it, it also showed me a different side right. of things that i hadn't seen mm -hmm. before and i realized this too but i also don't think that and because of the lack of resources i don't personally think that police officers should be a frontline medical mental health like call they yeah. should just not be involved if they don't Agreed. have to be agree and but how but we have to get to a point where we have the resources yeah. in, in the community that we can actually have people that can show up because yep. I know that I know because I had actually had the conversation with this particular officer that I dealt with and asked him about like having others on the call, like having a mental health counselor. And he said, actually, you get it gets dangerous when you have an untrained person out in the field, even though they're a mental health professional, they're not they're not trained in in what they do. So it's right. like, so it does, I, I get where the tug of war comes. Yep. But I do Absolutely. think though that it, I do think though, by including um, police officers though, it, it creates, it creates an already tense, it makes yep. a tense situation already tense, t even tenser. And I, and again, you've got a lot of people on their side who have so much unresolved trauma and so much, yep. and, and there's so much stigma around that. Mm -hmm. alone and and then also you've got everybody saying that they're bad or whatever you know a lot of people and it's yeah. just in such a bad spot now that it's like yeah and that's sort what, of i think that tr mental health training for police officers or at least approach training like what to do if you are with a delusional patient or you know what kinds of approaches because a lot of times approach is everything if you try to redirect somebody who's having a delusion that jesus christ has come down and is calling them you can say that's not true man how do you think how do you think that's going to make somebody feel that really believes that's the truth so i could say like that's ridiculous man you're not you're having a mental health crisis or i could choose to approach that person and say what's he saying whoa, this is wild. What's he saying? And try to establish a connection in their reality, you know, and de-escalate that situation. And a lot of times people don't do that. And it's kind of like, all right, so you've got a black shirt on today. Hey, my shirt's black. Well, what if I looked at you and said, it's red? That's a red shirt. How's that going to make you feel? You know, right? that's going to, you're going to be like, no, I'm wearing black. And I'm, no, that's red it's going to piss you off. Yeah, it is. So, you know, if, if, even if I think it's red, why can't I say that's an awesome black shirt? Did you pick it out? Is it your favorite? So why the conversations really need to meet people where they're, they're at in their reality until you can get them stabilized. And I think a lot of times things are so heightened. And, and I have to say, when I worked in the emergency department, we live in Minnesota now, we just moved last fall. It's been quite a ride. But when I worked in Vail, the approach of the police officers in Vail, like 
I literally would write them thank you cards because they were so good at hanging back if, if they thought it would escalate the patient and saying, you go in, Lisa, we've got your back. And I always felt safe. Safety was always our number one thing. They were amazing. I like literally gives me goosebumps thinking about them. Um, and you don't, a lot of times you don't have that, um, I guess, opportunity in like bigger cities to like really take the time and say, Hey, we know this guy, we've been here. So it, it gets a little gray, you know? Um, but yeah, I, it, it matters. And I, I loved having the police there. And if they did escalate the patient, they were so good at approach or hanging back and just protecting me. And it was just, yeah, it matters their approach. Yeah, so many variables, so many variables, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. it's like an English muffin with all those nooks and crannies. You got it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's just, I mean, on a, on just on an emotional level alone, there's so many like different layers that you got to deal with because you're dealing with fear. You're dealing with, Yep. You know, distrust, you're dealing with all these things that, and, and unfortunately the person who's in the crisis doesn't always know what's going on no. or for the most part, doesn't know at all what's going on when you're in a deep psychosis. They're just. Absolutely. <laughs> and you got to remember, they're still humans. They still want to be validated and heard. So if their reality is like way wonky out there, meet them there, it, you know, meet them there, talk to them about it, connect with them about it. It's you know, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with validating somebody for 20 minutes until somebody can get them where they need to be, you know? So. Do you think, do you, real quick, do you think that, because um, that, that's that's one thing that's come up a lot too, and I know for me, it's, it's extremely hard. I try to work on it, but meeting people where they're at, I, I think it's extremely important, but, uh, you know, for myself, it's very hard, and I think maybe for others, it's also hard. Do you think that, um, maybe just a simple validation is, is a good step towards that. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, you know, letting people know you hear them and you see them. Um, and you can even ask questions like, you know, what are you going to do with that? Or how does that make you feel? Or tell me more, you know, things like that. And sometimes it's okay too. Like if you're talking, meeting people where they're at, like if we're talking about somebody not in a um, not having a mental health crisis, just kind of in general, I think it's always okay to ask, Hey, I'm, I'm here for you. Do you want me to help fix this? Or do you just want me to listen? Putting that responsibility back on them for what they need allows you to set a cleaner boundary and know what your role is. So you're not carrying that work of like, ah, crap, I got to fix this. Ooh, this is intense. And so it just allows you to kind of take a breath and sit back and say, they just need me to listen or they want me to help problem solve. Right. But it gives you a clear direction to know where you're going. So you can meet them where they're at with yes. that responsibility back on them for what they need. Absolutely. Wow. Such I wonder wisdom. if that's possible though, for some people in certain situations to even know whether it's. They have no idea. The one thing that I hear most in my private practice is I don't even know what I need. Right. Yeah. That was going to, that's so funny because that was going to be a question of mine that I wanted to, to, to no know is, is, is the most thing that you see, you see, you know, what, what's the most thing you see in your practice or in your, you know, work? I have no idea what I need. How, where do I even start? And I know what I need to do, but why aren't I doing it? 
So awesome. you guys are awesome. Thank you so much thank for having you. me on. Lisa, thank you so much for thank being here. Thank you, Lisa. So it's an awesome. Sure. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you uh, for, and thank you for actually what I've noticed too. And I, I just have to say this is that you've been a professional for a long time. And I noticed that some of the professionals that are in, in our area that I've had to deal with for, because of my mom and stuff, I've noticed that you can really tell that some of these people are just so burned out that they just don't have it anymore. Yeah. So I I appreciate the fact that you take the time to not just be a private therapist, but you do these podcasts where you can break it down because you can tell in your voice and in your, and in the way you handle these situations, these, these ideas that you really do care still. So I thank you for that. Uh, And that is much appreciated. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, people matter. Your stories matter. You guys matter. And we don't ever want to lose sight of that, you know, and um, everybody's just beautifully human. And I think when you close yourself off to, or you start to get burned out, I get it, but it's time to walk away because when you close yourself off to, or you think that every case is the same, you just miss out on some of the most beautiful humans in the whole wide world. You got to make sure you check out Lisa Scott's podcast. What's next with Lisa Scott everywhere. She pods, she pods everywhere. It's a great podcast. And you can find us uh, on the socials uh, at Above Ground Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Above Ground Pod on Twitter, Above Ground Podcast on Tumblr. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeart, uh, all the pod, all the, well, a lot of the pod places. We're working on others. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's, what's what's no, I was just about to say you that, off, Timmy. No, no, that's all right. I was just going to say that that wraps up today's uh, interview. And um, we just wanted to, again, thank Lisa Scott for her time and for all of her wisdom. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. So until next week, be well. Be safe. Be above. above.